why is it that there are places in the US like East Detroit where you can get a three bedroom apartment for 500 and then you have San Francisco where a one bedroom apartment is $6,000, right? It is not the same. It's not apples to apples. It's comparing a grape to a watermelon. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate, from co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. But I'm not behind the mic. You know it. I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So on this season, we're going to talk about APS of real estate, assets, process, and strategies. And so by listening in, you will learn valuable business principles to help your real estate business, whatever it may be, thrive and succeed. Okay, so today I'm starting a new tradition. Every month, I will give away one free document that you can use and that can help you scale your real estate journey. So this month, you can download the document called Determine Your Investment Criteria. This document will help you focus and choose the real estate investment that is right for you. You can find the document at www.ellieperlman.com resources. So again, you can find it at www.ellieperlman.com slash resources. Our guest today is Neil Bawa, CEO at Grow Capitas Investments. Neil sources, negotiates, and acquires commercial properties across the U.S. for 500 plus investors. Current portfolio, he has over 2,000 units and beds projected to be at 3,000 in 12 months. Neil's portfolio includes multifamily and student housing properties across nine U.S. states. Neil is a nationally recognized in-demand speaker at multifamily events, IRA events, and meetups across the country. Nearly 4,000 students attended his multifamily seminar series each year, and hundreds attended his Magic of Multifamily boot camps. Neil's nationwide meetup network is called Multifamily University, has thousands of members. He leads the company and is driving the syndication and acquisition of multifamily properties. And without further ado, I would like to welcome Neil to the show. Hey, Neil. Hey, Ali. Thanks for making you read through such a long bio. That I got to trim <laughs> that one down. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually act, edit and make it shorter, but I think we had a lot of you know great things going on here. So I, I decided to read through it all to give uh, our listeners a little bit of you know kind of a good background of what you do and who you are. So where do you live, by the way? Where are you talking with me right now? I live in Silicon Valley. So I'm in basically Northern California. It looks like you're in California too. Yes, I'm in Southern California. So a little bit far away, but not that far. I'm in Santa Monica, actually. And I think we both purchase multifamily properties. I'm guessing you're not 
buying anything in Northern California or that would be a wrong guess? I tell people I'm a blue-blooded Democrat. Cut me and I'll bleed blue, but I only invest in red states. So, <laughs> so no California in the list, no. Yes. Well, no California. And you've been purchasing multifamily and student housing as well. Tell me about that. What do you like about student housing and multifamily properties? Well, I think there's so much that people have heard about, right, on your show. You know, we talk about the cash flow aspects and we talk about the the fact that there's tax benefits. So, you, you know, there's the usual stuff. But I think that to me, it's something a little bit different. I believe that we are watching a slow motion change in America. America is changing and becoming landlord nation and renter nation. In the last 10 years, we've created somewhere between 6 and 10 million, depending upon you know, where you get your data from, renter households. That is a staggering number. Never in history, never during a recession, never in boom times, have we created 10 million new renter households in a single decade. If you take all of the single family construction, all of the multifamily construction, that comes nowhere close to that number, which means that we've got a supply demand imbalance. Now, having said that, you've also probably heard that there are many markets around the US where in certain submarkets, there's people giving a lot of concessions, there's a lot of oversupply, there's new buildings coming in and people are offering two months and three months rents for free. What's interesting is that both of these things can happen at the same time. And a perfect example is Atlanta. Rents in Atlanta are going up really fast. In most years, they go up 4%, 5%, 6%. But one part of Atlanta, which is called Buckhead, has a huge glut of new construction coming in, 30,000 units or something like that, some obscene number. And so right now, if you go to a Class A apartment Buckhead, you might even be able to get three months of rent for free. So both of these things can happen together, but my properties are 15, 16 miles away from Buckhead. So there's no real impact to them and we're able to raise our rents. So bottom line is America is going through a demographic shift. The millennials, their psyche was damaged by what happened to their parents in 2008. They're so burdened by student loans. They're insanely burdened. When you look at the average loans that a millennial has today compared to the average American 30 years ago, it's just, it's not even comparable. There is no comparison right? And then you've got basically the older folks that should have now been going from McMansions to smaller homes, and they're going from McMansions to actually apartments in the city. So there's so many trends that are demographically providing a tailwind to multifamily. And, you know, similar things apply for student housing, though to a lesser extent than multifamily. And that's why you had, for two years, we had industrial as the top rated you know, commercial real estate vertical. And now we're back to multifamily. So it was multifamily, then industrial, now back to, to multifamily. If you look at rents over the last 12 months, extraordinary growth. We are over 3% annualized and we are in the eighth year of an expansion. That should not be happening. And the only way I can explain the fact that we should have, we have such powerful rent growth is because America is changing. It is becoming a landlord nation, it's becoming a renter nation. There's a change in the psyche of the average American. Yeah, and I think you described it, you know, pretty well. I think right now we're in a very, very interesting, you know, time and we don't know when the expansion is going to, until when it's going to continue. But right now the demand is very strong. And I like what you said about not being in those 
core secondary markets like Buckhead, which uh, I used to live in, by the way, many years ago, I do the same. I don't, I don't buy in downtown where you have all the class A buildings and a lot of competition and high concessions. I go 10, 15, 20 miles outside because guess what? It doesn't drive only investors to go there. The same for renters. They cannot afford, even after three months, so you get three months for free. But then you're stuck, quote unquote, with $1,700, $1,800. Maybe it's not a lot here for one bedroom because it's here. It will be a steal in California. But over there, it's a lot of money. Yep. Huge amounts of money, right? I think it's a lot of money anywhere. And, you know, when maybe we get to the strategy section, I want to talk about not just secondary markets. I want to talk about tertiary markets because that's a strategy that I've employed multiple times because I think it's time to start looking at the tertiaries because, as you know, even with the secondaries, it seems like every single day you just lose bids and, and you're losing them now by a million dollars where two years ago you'd lose a bid by 200,000. Now you're losing the same bid by a million. So I think that that strategy also has to change. Every strategy is subject to change and improvement. So let's kind of shift to um, the, the process. And I know you have a very robust system on how you choose your markets. And I know it's a great system and I would love to hear from you how you do it. How do you choose a market? Well, I think that for many years, I made a huge mistake buying in Chicago earlier in the decade and really suffered. I mean, it was horrible. When I look at the loss of opportunity, I think I lost millions of dollars there. After that, I decided that I had to go find a very discreet, step-by-step, templatized way to pick markets, whether they were cities or neighborhoods. To my surprise, I found that nobody had really put that together. So I decided I'm going to be the guy that's going to put it together, and I'm going to give it away to anybody and everybody, almost like an open source thing. You don't even have to mention that this came from Neil Bauer. Take it, use it. You can call it the Ellie Perlman formula and apply it. It's meant to be given away because it's knowledge that everyone in real estate should have. So it took me many years of experimentation and gathering data from thousands of cities and back testing and applying some formulas. And I basically came up with five formulas, which, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, I'm just going to direct you to where that information lies because it might take too long to get through it. But what I found was there were five factors that appeared to have the biggest impact on your profits in real estate. If you want to make money in real estate, and I'm, I'm talking about like filthy, obscene amounts of money, understand that these five factors are driving everything. Number one is population growth. Number two is income growth. Number three is home price growth. Number four is job growth. And the number five is a reduction in crime. So four growth factors and one reduction factor controls everything. These are called real estate demographics, and they're all powerful. They are the difference. And I, the example I love to give people is you're flying in a jet and you're going from you know, Los Angeles, where Ellie lives, to the San Francisco Bay Area, where I live. Your plane's going to be going 550 miles an hour. But get, let's say that you had a 200-mile headwind. Now your plane, instead of flying 550, it's flying 350. But on the way back from San Francisco, for some reason, you had a 200-mile tailwind. Now your plane's still flying at 550, which in this example is your multifamily property. But because there's a 200-mile tailwind, you're not going at 550. You're not going at 350. You're going at 750. 
isn't there an incredible difference between 350 miles an hour and 750 an hour? That's what demographic tailwinds do. They change the game. You can screw up every which way and still walk away with doubling investor returns. That's how powerful these are. They're huge. They're not the 800-pound gorilla in the room. They're the 80,000-pound gorilla. So understand these five demographics. And so what I did was I started teaching this at meetups and conferences across the U.S. I, I teach them about 50 times a year. And eventually I was like, this is not enough. I have to provide a way so that people can take this whenever they want from wherever they want. So I went to udemy.com, U-D-E-M-Y.com, which is you know, the, the, the world's biggest online university. And I built it as a two-hour step-by-step course with Excel spreadsheets, with cheat sheets on udemy.com slash real focus, one word. So udemy.com slash real focus, hit enter. And you'll notice that of the hundreds and hundreds of real estate courses that are on udemy.com, this is the highest ranked. And at any given point of time, there are 2,000 people taking this course. I looked at it yesterday, and there were 2,170 people currently enrolled taking the course right now. So God only knows how many people take it. I think it's you know 10,000 people a year or something like that. But the most beautiful part of that, Ellie, is that people send me out of nowhere. I don't know them except for the fact that I know that they're enrolled in my course, but they will send me my spreadsheets with those real focus formulas filled in for some small tertiary market somewhere in the US. There's 5,000 of these tertiary markets. And they tell me, Neil, by your formulas, this market is really incredible. Imagine how powerful that information is for me, right? Imagine oh, what I'm able to do. Imagine the sort of places that I'm able to find like Dalton, Georgia, right? Gainesville, Georgia. St. George, Utah, because these people keep sending me these spreadsheets and that's their way of thanking me. And it's a huge deal for me because I would have never heard about these, these places. Kennewick, Washington is another one that comes to mind. And so is Grand Rapids, Michigan. I know about these markets, not because I went in and implemented my system on them. Someone else did and sent it back to me. Well, that's very, very powerful. And then, you know, when you think about all those markets, obviously you can just, you need a system to effectively and quickly, you know, look at the information. So where can you even find the information from a credible source to understand, you know, which markets are good markets? The short answer is the course itself. Remember the five things that I mentioned, population Mm -hmm. growth, income growth, home price growth, job growth, and crime reduction. These are the five metrics. Now, the information, that's what you're asking about. Where do you get that? The answer is, it's all in the course, but here's a preview. Population growth information is available on Google. The information on home price growth, right, and on income growth is available on a website called city-data.com. And so is the crime information. The crime information for every city is on city-data.com. The job information is available on a very specific website. It is the departmentofnumbers.com. That is D-E-P-T of numbers with an S dot com slash employment slash metros. That gives you up-to-date job growth information for any city in the United States. Once again, that last link is so valuable. It's D-E-P-T of numbers with an S dot com slash employment slash metros. Every metro in the U.S., big, small, is in there. And you'll notice the moment you go to that site and you sort by the last column, you'll notice this. We don't live in one America. We live in two. 
There's the America that we left behind, where even at 3% unemployment, these are cities losing thousands and thousands of jobs, and they're pretty much in the same states, right? So we see Louisiana, we see West Virginia, we see Illinois, we see a little bit of the Wisconsin area. So there's areas that are really weak compared to the Sun Belt, which you rarely ever see at the bottom of that list because most Sun Belt markets are doing so well. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to find the right market because the best deal with you know, the very high cap rate, which is already a, a red flag, very high returns in the wrong market, all your numbers and your projections might not be true. You need a solid demand and you need quality tenants in order to do well. I think bottom line is you said it exactly right. You need a combination of solid demand that stays throughout your five-year process and you need, you know, high quality tenants. And so I can tell you that, you know, if you want to do a comparison in terms of both of demand and high quality tenants, I suggest these two cities. On one side, a powerhouse cities like St. George, Utah, pick that, run the real focus system on it, watch what happens. Then on the other side, pick Shreveport, Louisiana, not saying it's the worst market in the U.S. I'm just saying I believe it's the worst market in the U.S. Okay, so just my personal belief. You will notice the difference with every one of those five metrics. It's going to make your eyes pop out. Because for some reason, people think that there isn't a huge difference. Well, if there isn't a huge difference, why is it that there are places in the U.S. like East Detroit where you can get a three-bedroom apartment for 500 and then you have San Francisco where a one-bedroom apartment is $6,000, right? It is not the same. It's not apples to apples. It's comparing a grape to a watermelon. That's the difference between cities, a grape and a watermelon. Yeah. And you said it right. I love this analogy. This has been very, very valuable. So I really appreciate you, you know, sharing this with me and my uh, listeners. So I, I want to move to the last, almost the last part of our discussion uh, and talk about strategy. So you mentioned earlier that you, that you're investing in current buildings, multifamily and student housing, but also in development. I would love to know, and you also mentioned another topic that you want to talk about, you know, in the strategy section, but maybe first, if you can talk about how different it is to actually invest in developments. And I think, you know, I hear a lot from investors that are pretty hesitant right now at this late stage in the cycle to get into a development deal. And I'm wondering how you see things because right now the cost of labor increase, the cost of material increase. So that translates into higher rents. And so what are your thoughts about development at this stage of the cycle? Undoubtedly, development is riskier today than it was six or seven years ago. There is no doubt in my mind. But there is demand for investors in the right markets. As I mentioned, I wouldn't be doing, even if you gave me land for free, I wouldn't build something in Shreveport, Louisiana. But I can't build enough in St. George, Utah, where occupancy is 99.2% in the city of Washington, which is next to St. George. So when you look at these places where for whatever reason, people have not built enough apartment complexes that is a supply-demand gap. If the apartment complexes are not there, Ellie, they're not going to magically appear. They're not there. 
there is a gap. It's huge. The only way to fill that gap at this point in time is to basically do new construction. Is it harder to raise money for new construction? Yes, it's much harder, right? You, you have to have a much, much larger database of investors. And mostly accredited investors will invest in new construction because they don't need the cash flow as much. So keep in mind, it's not just that you need more investors, you almost always need 506C projects for new construction. You really, very rarely will you see a, a developer doing a 506B because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? You, and when you say 506C and 506B, for those who don't know? Well, to me, 506C is a project that you can basically tell anyone on the planet about. You can put it on the side of a bus, you can put it on Google. And what that means is you can only take accredited investors, but you can scream it from a rooftop. Whereas these, yeah. in the syndication industry, a lot of syndicators do 506B projects where they cannot do any kind of public advertisement, but then they can only market to their small database. And even there, they've got restrictions on, on how they can market to that internal database. So bottom line, development's a different world. I would tell you that in 99 out of 100 syndicators, when they look at development, they say, this is really hard. And they're absolutely right. Development is very, very hard compared to you know, what we're doing with lipstick on a pig type projects where we're doing value add. And I would advise very few people to get into that. As it happens, I had some experience with development before I became a real estate guy. Back in my technology business, I had to build campuses from scratch. So I learned a lot there. And that knowledge was incredibly helpful in me getting into development. But you know, why development so late in the cycle? What if I have a million investors? Isn't it still risky? Well, the answer is simple. If you're in the best markets in America, you cannot buy there. Why? Because there are five cap markets. There are four cap markets. And there's no way to cash flow there, right? So you cannot basically use the standard Ellie Perlman strategy in those markets. Then why not do new construction? Also, we're finding constantly ways to, to reduce the risk. My latest project is a 46 townhome project in North Carolina with no debt, zero debt. I'm building, zero debt. my cost is 12 and a half million and I'm only using six and a half million dollars to build it because I'm actually doing a rolling process where I build, sell, rollover money, build, sell, rollover money. By doing that, I'm building something that has a list price of 18 million. My construction cost is 12. Investor equity is only 16, six and a half million, no loan. How could that be a higher risk than what you're doing, for example? Because you still have a senior loan, which means that if something goes wrong with your project, the investors can lose money. With my project, the investors are the bank. They can't lose money because there's no mortgage to pay. So the bottom line is you can do new construction if you find creative ways to do financing to reduce risk. So that's a perfect example of strategy. I don't believe anyone in the syndication world has ever done what we did with our RTB project. And by the way, that project is so unique that if you want to actually take a look at it, it's www.growcapitus.com slash RTP1, just so that you can understand how someone can build a project where the finished value is 18 million, the construction value is 12 million, and they're doing it only with 6 million bucks. No loan. Yeah, that's very creative. I haven't heard of it. It's strategy, and that's what mm -hmm. makes these sorts of things work. The other strategy is tertiary marketplaces, right? So you look mm -hmm. at a tertiary marketplace, no one's really, there's no competition there. There's no new construction happening. There's nobody giving any kind of incentives. 
And I think those markets are one that in many cases you can build without, with significantly lower risk. Now, keep in mind, there is one key risk. If a recession comes, and we've been talking about a recession for five years now, but let's say one comes, that tertiary market is going to be hit harder. So anyone that is working either building in a tertiary market or buying in a tertiary market needs to understand that the moment they get the feeling that a recession has started, they need to stop rehabbing. They need to stop spending CapEx. They need to just focus on growing their occupancy and keeping their tenant base. They need to switch from you know, raising rents to giving concessions like this quickly. But as long as you do that, in my mind today, that's a more profitable market. You've got to be very careful about the recession there, but it's a more profitable market. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think you hit the nail on the head because right now, tertiary markets are probably cash flowing better than other markets. They are. For sure, than for core markets. But then what happens in a recession? So I always try to find those markets that are, maybe they're not core markets. So you do have five and a half, maybe five and three quarter cap rate when you purchase. So you do have some significant cash flow coming in. Uh, recession hits, I want to be close to maybe not in downtown or in, the core, you know, in core markets, but close enough so I have a significant amount of population in the area and you know diversity of employment that it's not going to be felt as hard as other you know smaller markets or markets that mainly you know 70 60 percent of my tenants they work you know for a specific employer and if this employer is going to be affected in the recession then I'm going to feel it pretty hard so You shared a lot of wisdom here and I really appreciate it. You brought a lot of value to my listeners. That's great. And so I want to move to the last part, the lightning round question uh, part. Are you ready? All right. Bring it on. All right. So what's your favorite hobby? Actually, my favorite hobby is experimenting with growing tomatoes. So uh, if you connect with me on Facebook, I connect with anybody that wants to connect with me. You'll see videos there about various experimentations around growing bigger, better tomatoes. And I've done everything from multi-level growth to LED lighting, to using LED lighting at night, 24 hours a day, to using drip systems of different kinds so that the water's not you know, going like twice a week, it's going three times a day. So all those kinds of things. And I share that information on Facebook videos. You can check out my videos on Facebook about always growth hacking tomatoes. Well, that's insane because my husband has, he shares the same passion, but he kills all of his tomatoes for some reason, you know, accidentally, of course. I'll definitely going to make sure that he's going to watch your videos because then he's going to be very happy. So next one is that what's the one thing that people don't know about you? Maybe growing tomatoes is one. Well, that's a, that's a hard one. I think I am in a cricket nut. And so I came from India. And most people don't in, in America don't know about this game called cricket. When I say the statement that I'm about to say, people will be shocked. So cricket is the second most popular sport in the world, right after soccer, right? And there used to be a time when it was a boring old sport that used to take five days. And then, there, then they invented a new version, which took an entire day and was still very boring. <laughs> and then they recently in 2008 or 2006, invented a new slam bang version that's basically the same length as baseball. And I'm a fanatic cricket fan. And it, to me, I think that what draws me to cricket is just how strategic the game is. 
I think that if I didn't love cricket, I would love chess. Because for me, it is all about watching the movement of what's going on, manipulating things around, tweaking every single knob, right? My friends in multifamily call me the mad scientist of multifamily. And that's because I'm always looking at everything as if it's a game of chess or a game of cricket. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I actually read about the fact that it was the second um, most popular game after soccer. I was also shocked. All right. So, Neil, what do you wish you had known when you started out? I wish I'd known more about picking neighborhoods. I wish I'd known more about picking cities. I really simply did not understand where to go. I feel like I made it 10 times harder for myself because I did not have that information. And I became not just passionate, I became completely insanely obsessed with making sure I spread that knowledge. So once again, I know sometimes people go on a podcast and they're like, nobody ever gives away like huge information. Please trust me. All you have to do is go to udemy.com slash real focus and read the reviews of those people. It's changed their lives. They're saying it right there in the review. So, and there's no pitch. You, I don't even get your email address. I just hope you use it well. All right. Almost the last one. What is the number one advice you have for real estate investors who want to scale either their portfolio or their business? I think I'll give you two pieces because these are my two mantras, right? The first one is you cannot manage what you cannot measure. So, the best CEOs, the best chief operations officers, the best anything, one thing that they're constantly good at is they're measuring everything and they're comparing it and they're building benchmarks. If you cannot measure, you cannot manage. You're just deluding yourself. And the second one is tied to the first one, and that is numbers beat gut feel by a million miles. It doesn't matter how much experience you have, but I can prove it that numbers will beat gut feel all the time. And what's amazing is even though I, one of the reasons I have this second mantra is every once in a while I catch myself using gut feel and then I go back and look at the numbers and even though I should be by now better at this, but I'm not. My gut feel doesn't get any better, but my number collection and my crunching ability gets better every year. So once again, whenever I use gut feel and then I go back to using numbers, I'm always humbled by how bad we are as human beings at gut field because we never remember our losses when it comes to gut fields, just our victories. So we give ourselves way too much credit on gut field. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then last question, Neil, where can people find you? Well, firstly, you can find me on Facebook at my group, which is called Magic of Multifamily. So just go to Facebook, type in Magic of Multifamily, join my group. I'm in there constantly sending out videos, you know, whether they're about asset management, acquisitions, demographics, buying real estate. There's tons and tons of information on there. We add, you know, between 100 and 200 people to that group every week. So it's a very powerful group. And almost everybody in there is interested in commercial real estate in some way, multifamily, student housing, senior housing, storage, you know, industrial, all of those. So th those people are in there. The second place is I find people like me, people that like deep dive, you know, content. And so I invite them to my website, which is multifamily university or multifamilyu.com. So multifamily followed by the letter u.com. There you'll find dozens of webinars from industry experts, no pitch stuff, very deep dive on so many different topics. 
if you're a multifamily guy, you love the, the syndication deep dives. You love, love the raising money deep dives. If you're a single family guy, you love how we picked cities by, by bringing in forecasters from all over the US. People like Ingo Windsor that have won the Crystal Ball Award multiple times. So all of those webinars are on multifamilyu.com and they're completely free. Thousands of people take them every month. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Neil. I really appreciate it. I think, you know, I definitely learned new things and I'm sure you provided a lot of value to my listeners as well. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show, Ellie. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.